From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. So it's been a while since we talked about the things we've been drinking recently because, right. uh, you know, we've had we've had some time. Uh, so I'm so I'm curious, Joanna, what have you been up to? What have you been drinking? So <laughs> some, I'm trying to think back. Some some notable things had a lot of good Nebbiolo with Adam and yeah. friends for New Year's Eve. Um, Did you eat anything at- notable at this time, Joanna? No, not really. Just some oh, okay. snacks. Yeah, yeah just snacks. <laughs> just, just, some, just some deviled eggs, some pasta. Some pasta. Nothing that baller. White truffle fest <laughs> at the Firestone Teeter residence there for was New lots Year's of Eve. Mm-hmm. There was lots of truffles. Lots of good, lots of good nebula, including which was kind of crazy. So obviously, most of them are Barbarolos and Barbarescos, but then we had a 2002 Nebbiolo from Virginia, from oh. Barbersville, that was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, like really. America's wine representative Keith Beavers brought it. I brought it. It was oh, mine. Really? Oh. Keith just opened it. Oh. He doesn't. Get, he doesn't get the credit for everything American now. It was very. It was expertly decanted. Yes. Um, but yeah, lots of Nebbiolo. Yeah, lots what of else, Nebbiolo. Joanna? Okay, another thing I had, um, Evan and I went to Oxalis, which is a restaurant in Brooklyn. Was it good? Did you like it? Was it awesome? Yeah, it was really great. We had we sat in the like bar room cool. and did that menu, but um, they have a really thoughtful cocktail program there. Mm-hmm. Um, the bar director is Piper Christensen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they use a lot of local spirits instead of like using bigger brands. And, mm-hmm. uh, I had a really nice take on a corp corpse survivor number two, cool. which was really good. Um, I like that cocktail. Awesome. Um, and then the last thing I had that was good and notable was, um, the non-alcoholic Wolfer estate spring in a bottle. Interesting. Their dry rosé sparkling, really? which was good. Yeah. Um, just like very balanced and nice. Yeah. I, yeah, I think they do a good job. I, I, the non-elk wine scene <laughs> is kind of challenging right now. Yeah. I think I think it's getting better. Um, so I think this was a this was a nice option. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Zach? So uh, wrapped up twenty twenty two with a little little celebration. Had some nice bottles of wine. Had a few friends. Yeah, happy for, birthday, Zach. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I feel already. You know, closing in on forty this year, so it's definitely alarming. <laughs> but uh, had some some nice bottles of wine, a really beautiful bottle of Etna Rosso from uh, Benanti from uh, the Cavalieri Contrada, one of the you know many single vineyard sites. Also, a really interesting wine for me, a uh, Pinot Noir from Tasmania. I've had a little bit of sparkling wine from Tasmania, but this was my first still wine. Uh, mm-hmm. It was kind of fun. And I'm trying to think of anything else, you know, had some um, some champagne, of course. Can't really. Uh, ring in the new year without a bottle of champagne or two and uh you know yeah it was good just uh just drinking some good wine had had my last uh you know on topic for this podcast had my last alcoholic drink for a month uh you know just before shortly before midnight had a little uh had just a little bit of a morrow to finish the year off uh it was nice so you don't drink even if there's like so you're not one of these dry gin like some people who are like push like oh well New Year's Day, you can have a bloody or whatever. Like you're like after midnight on New Year's Eve, you stop drinking. Yeah, I mean, I also went to sleep, which made it easier. To <laughs> but, but but like you you don't allow yourself to. Uh, like- I just I, to me, it's like I. I it's not I'm I'm not a philosoph- it's not a philosophical point to me. I don't really for one, I don't really care what anyone else does. For me, it's just always been like I reach even though, frankly, I reach New Year's Eve and I'm like already kind of ready to be done. Um and I have been fortunate, I suppose, that like 
I don't get, I don't tend to get, especially with kids, like all that, like into it on New Year's Eve. It's just kind of like have a few drinks, go to bed. It's easier for me just to be like, okay, you know, I'm starting, I'm starting new. This year was a little tough because of like the timing of everything. Like we went over to my cousin's house the next day on New Year's Day and had like a kind of family gathering and there was definitely lots of drinking going on for other people. But it's also true that like probably my uh, willpower is strongest on January 1st. So it's kind of the easiest day for me to resist temptation. It's like the random like get at me in two weeks and I'll be like, yeah, it was really hard to not have like this wine that I happen to be Mm -hmm. around or I really wanted a glass of scotch at, you know, 930 at night or something. And that's, that's really when it tests me. Not so much the first couple of days. Cause I am relatively committed to this plan. <laughs> cool. Adam, do you have anything besides uh, all this Nebbiolo and white truffles? Uh, I had a fun day where I took a pizza tour of Staten Island and had lots oh. of, uh, lots of Peroni. That was funny. We had, I, had a, I had a Pilsner. I had two, two, two Peronis. One at one's <laughs> on one another, but it was fun. Lee's tavern. Super good. Uh, it was that all, was the favorite. Uh, I mean, well, Joe and Pat's was delicious, mm-hmm. but I feel like Lee's Tavern is the one that like felt the most Staten Island. Like it, you're, it's a bar, mm-hmm. and they happen to make really, really good pizza, and it was filled with regulars. And we went the day before New Year's Eve, and it was just like a a very good time. Everyone was in very good spirits, and it felt like everyone was also straight out of Central Casting, and it was. <laughs> just the best and people coming over like making complaints about the union or it was just so good i saw like a bunch of cops and like it's just everything you think of staten island it was just like at lee's tavern (laughs) and uh and that's where i had my peroni because i was like what should i get like peroni i was like okay cool i have a peroni (laughs) you bring it to me man um so that was that was probably like my most fun drinking experience uh uh besides the the nebbiolo Mm mm-hmm Besides Neville. So one thing we are going to talk about uh, is something that is is dry January, but but a, tr- a trend that is changing in dry January. Uh, and that is that actually interest in j- dry January this year has gone down. Um, so I'll read some of the stats now and we can sort of chat about why we think this is. Uh, I had to open on my phone, guys, and then I just lost it. So my bad. Here we go. So basically, according to uh, Civic Science, which they do this study every year, uh, and they provide a lot of data insights uh, into numerous trending topics, they have found that the data the, the data they found from surveying in the run to dry January shows that the interest and participation in dry January is significantly down in 2023 compared to years prior, especially in the 25 to 34 year old age range. Gen Z leads the interest in dry January with the most. Which I think it's interesting because 25 to 35, I thought there were some Gen Z in 25, but that's really, I guess they're thinking that's core millennial. So maybe we're saying Gen Z is really the 21 to 24 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit of an uptick in interest in dry, dry January by boomers. So up from 39% of interest in 2022 to 41%. They must not live at the villages. They must be like, you know, other places. I feel like in those kind of places, they fucking get wasted so uh so you know just all day long yeah, have you guys seen any of the documents on the villages i mean all they do is drunk drive fucking golf carts, golf carts. <laughs> like, that's, that's literally that's like literally all they do so um i feel like it's very interesting though because 
What they're saying is they're just seeing that millennials who were the core driver of this holiday and claim to be the creators of this holiday, holiday. Or, <laughs> or dry time, right, uh, actually are starting to lose interest in it and starting mm. to say that, you know, it's not something, it's not as much of a priority as it used to be to them where sure. they felt like they had to, you know, abstain for a month. My like sort of belief here is like, no shit, it's not a priority anymore. Life's gotten harder. You probably have like a family at this point and you're like, why would I like take this thing that gives me pleasure away if I can manage my consumption, sure. right? Uh, we've gotten this before, but I also think that like abstention is a horrible like way to prove you don't have a problem. Like proving you don't have a problem means that you like are able to not drink throughout the week. Like and actually being able to take days off. Like this, I this like you know thing people do where it's like for thirty days I won't drink to just to reset. I I don't think actually works. I think that applies to other things too. Like, I think everything. I'm not going to eat desserts for, for thirty days. Right. Or... Like I'm, I'm, everyone binges when they come back. Everyone binges. Right. It's like, like diet culture, right? Diet culture is bad, and mm-hmm. it's like I think you know it's instead it's mindful culture is much more important. Right. But I think also, um, it's, I think the interest is kind of waning because I think as you get older, like, yeah, this, this desire to probably to have these conversations improve with your friends is less appealing. Whereas in Gen Z, this, this is, it is a challenge, right? Like mm. who can go the longest? I mean, we've all seen Seinfeld's the contest. Yeah. We know what that's about, right? <laughs> like it's just, th- that's part of this. That's where it bore out. And again, like Zach, I want to be clear. This is no judgment on the fact that you do this. I think that it's it is good for people to do, and I, th- I find people who really enjoy doing this and have done this for a very long time. Sure. I just think the reason it is waning is for those factors for a lot of people, and I also think it's waning because, I mean, you guys can tell me if you think this is this is incorrect, but I do think that there it's a lot easier to now abstain throughout the week than it used to be because of all of the non-alcoholic yeah. options that are out on the market. Like you can say, Hey, I'm not going to drink on a Monday when I go out to dinner and just order the athletic beer. And that's okay. And nobody looks at you. Whereas you used to need to have like dry January just to take a fucking break yeah. because it was like, okay, everyone understands that I'm, we're all taking a break together. Whereas now it's like, Hey guys, I don't drink on Sunday, Monday and Tuesdays. And people are like, cool. But can we still have dinner? Can we still get together? And I I think that's also probably why it's gone away. I think that's actually the driving factor here. That's what I was going to say. I think there are so many more options and we're talking about this all the time Yeah. now. And we have been, um, there's also sober October. Do we remember that? Sober-tober. Like, yeah. Um, so I think that there are just so many more opportunities for people to abstain over the course of the year that when it comes to January, there's less, you know, desire to really test yourself and challenge yourself to to not drink for the entirety of the month because you can do that pretty easily now, you know, throughout the year. I think it's also interesting that like Sobertober has become a thing. And I think part of the reason it probably has as well is like if you were into this as like a thing to prove to yourself that you can't drink, you know, you don't need a drink for a month. Like that's a month where like at least it's not it's not horrible. Right. Like I think there's been a realization as well that I that I wanted to mention. Like January sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's cold. It's dark. It's depressing. Like being able to treat yourself to a bottle of wine with friends on a Friday night on you know a weekend in January is a really nice thing, you know, yeah. and to, like to take that away from yourself in a month that is very depressing for a lot of people and people become less social and we know that alcohol makes you more social and people, you know, go into very dark places because they're less social. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of the worst time to then also not – again, if you're able to drink responsibly, to not have a drink or two with friends. 
Yeah. Well, I think this made sense for January because people are coming off of yes. December, which is an incredibly overindulgent month. But I think also because there are so many opportunities to not drink or, you know, other options that perhaps people are indulging less in December and feel less, less of a need to completely abstain in January. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to add a couple of things here. One of them is that I think that one reason why dry January as a sort of societal trend is perhaps losing steam is because in addition to what, you know, both of you have said, I think it's been realized by a lot of people that it's not a magic bullet, right? If you are looking at it as a, not just in terms of your relationship to alcohol, although it is 100% not that, but also just in terms of whether it's, you know, sort of broader health and wellness or potentially, you know, financial concerns where I do think there's a conversation to be had about non-alcs and their, you know, essentially equivalent price point to alcoholic beverages, which we can discuss in a minute. I do think that for a lot of people, it has become clear that like, if you're trying to get in better shape, not drinking is helpful, but it's not yeah. the end of the story. And yeah. especially when you then a month later return to drinking in the same way that you had in December <laughs> or just the rest of the year. So for some people, I think it was, you know, it was a trend. It was perhaps seen as a panacea for a thing that it, it just didn't do that. And for me, those are not really my reasons for doing it. I mean, some of it is probably at this point just kind of habit and stubbornness. I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Um, But I also think that some of it is, you know, for me personally, it is more about, for lack of a better way of putting it, like a professional palate reset, because I have found it's less true for me the last couple of years when I'm not tasting wine professionally. But I would find that for me, when I would taste wine into the late fall and early winter, um, just for work, that my sense of taste got like over the course of a year, kind of overwhelmed. And, you know, like there are ways that it would reset and all that. And this is like a very niche concern. I don't think this is an issue for most people who are, uh, you know, considering abstaining in any given month. But for me, I found that when I came back to to drinking and to, you know, and I would taste a little bit in January professionally, because I sometimes had to, sometimes there would be big events that I couldn't really skip. But that in, in February in particular, when I would come back, I felt like my sense of, taste around wine in particular was much more acute. And I liked that, you know, it was a good time for me to be kind of getting back into it. Cause it's also a time when, again, not that this is a concern for most people that, but like with a lot of restaurant inventory was getting turned over. A lot of new vintages of wine were being released. It was an important time for me to feel like I was at my best uh, tasting wise. And so again, really just my concern, not really anyone else's. So, you know, and less my concern now, cause that's not what I'm doing, but still I like taking the month off. It's kind of a nice reset from as, you know, Joanna mentioned the the general indulgence of December. Yeah. I think also like it, it probably is waning because in the last few years, we saw that what was happening with dry January is that like people were doing it, but they were just replacing it with other vices. Mm-hmm. So for example, like you heard lots of people, I mean, there, there've been articles written about it, et cetera, right? That like people were sober from alcohol, but they were do they were consuming cannabis the entire month. And then, then people were like, well, then that's not really a, a sober month, right? Like you're still inebriated in some way, or they were eating a lot more sweets because also when you drink alcohol, right, your body starts to crave sweets at certain times. So mm-hmm. then your body just craves a different sugar. And I think, yes, Zach, I think the first point you made is a really good one. Like a lot of people have realized that like, it's not the thing that like gets you to the gym, yeah. right? Like it's funny because uh, I've, I was talking to 
the lifeguard at my gym this morning and we were saying how like you see you see, like the gym is insane the first of two course. weeks of the month like it's so annoying and then it goes right. away mm-hmm. like the locker room is more crowded than it's ever been this week and it will go away yeah because that's what happens like everyone makes this resolution and then they're like eh, you know what like i've got other shit going on in life and it's, it's not about just like signing up and going it's about like planning out how you're going to be able to pull that off every single day and that's where i think like the dry January thing isn't helpful if you actually are trying to figure out how you have a healthy relationship with alcohol. It's instead sitting down and saying, how do I have a healthy relationship? Is it that I don't drink these three days of the week? Is it then on Wednesday and Thursday, I'm only having a glass right. on Friday is the night where I'm willing to go out and like actually have a cocktail and a bottle and then a nightcap. Like, cause no one can do that every day of the week. Like that's not healthy. It's not healthy to drink that way where you're literally going out every night. That's why I think it's really hard to be, a professional in the industry mm-hmm. because if it's every night is cocked, you know, cocktails, then wine at dinner, then after dinner drinks, like that's not good for your body. Even if you say you feel fine and you have full control. Yeah. So like it's more figuring those things out and being able to manage those kinds of things than doing it for one month. Just like, okay, how, how do I ensure that I exercise three days a week starting or two days a week, starting then four days a week, then five days a week, as opposed to, I'm going to exercise for four weeks straight and then I'm going to stop. You know why you're going to stop? Because it fucking sucks to exercise that much (laughs) that early. You get sore. Like it's no fun. Like, and you, and you quit. That's why most people quit. Instead of saying like, I'm going to do it once, then twice, then three times. And same with alcohol. Like it starts to suck that you're denying yourself this thing that like, again, you probably hopefully don't have a true issue with. Sure. And again, that for me to say, if you have a true issue with alcohol, I 100% I mean, I 100% support abstention. If you if the only way that you can handle your issue with alcohol is to not drink, mm-hmm. you should be sober. 100% and like we should have that's why we have counseling and things like that to help people who need to be sober. But if you're just trying to reset your relationship with alcohol, it's more sitting down and intentionally saying, how do I reset my situation with alcohol? How do I not become the person that's out every night or the person that like has to be, you know, always closing down the bar, et cetera. That's very different. And I think that that is something that dry January doesn't help people do. Right. I think this ties back. I mean, you've both said it, but it ties back to this idea of like resolutions and setting goals and being realistic about those goals. And I think for a lot of people, abstention or saying that you want to lose 50 pounds or whatever, 10 pounds a month or something, they're not real. Those aren't realistic goals. And I think there's been a lot of discourse around this in recent years, especially around like this idea of resolutions and every January we set them and like we have these great intentions, but they're but we set ourselves up for failure. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think this is definitely part of it. Cause I, I certainly know people who as part of new year's resolutions say they, they're going to stop drinking or for January or yeah. one month on one month off or something like that. Um, and I think it's just, it's, it's difficult. It's really hard for a lot of people. And maybe part of this dip in interest in j- dry January is related to that. Look, yeah. I'm hoping that it's us realizing that like, we in in American society, for whatever reason, don't have to always live in a culture of extremes. Right. And I think oh, that we love it. We love it, man. Like, you know, that that's why we have we have the first person that ca- can't be confirmed as the uh, as the speaker of the house in 100 years on the first ballot because we live in a culture of extremes. It's the best. They're just <laughs> idiots, man. But anyways, like, I just just I mean, it's literally like watching a clown car. 
It's the best. I, I mean, I know you're Adam always has, this on Adam Monday. Adam has C-SPAN on in the background, apparently. But, uh, <laughs> but literally, this is like, this is like, I mean, just for me to go on a tangent really quickly, what okay. is happening right now is that this is like when people take someone hostage and they ask what your demands are and they say yes. Like, yeah. that's, literally, that's literally what's happening but anyways so i just i feel like this culture of extremes has gotten to be a lot and look maybe this is you know the our generation sort of starting to say like hey like we have to figure out this balance here yeah. and i think gen z is trying to figure that out as well like what is the balance mm. not just this like black or white yes or no one month on one month off because again when that happens you over imbibe than the month that you're on like you then take it off and then you over imbibe again it's this we again as you said with diet culture with all of these things mm-hmm. like that's what happens and we have so many studies that prove that's not healthy but again dry wasn't created by nutritionists or psychologists and psychiatrists who help with these issues it was created by like a dude in his living room in new york who happened to be popular on social media he was a former journalist we've written about him and started like talking about how he did this and it became <laughs> super popular in like the late or like the late aughts into the early 2000s i mean in the early 2010s and like that's how it blew up like this was not like the you know NIH or whatever being like, hey, we should all take a month off as a way to reset. <laughs> so like, hmm, maybe that's what we're all realizing. Yeah. I want to ask you guys a question that's related to this, but is a little bit of a departure from what we've been talking about because it's, yes. I think, a little more about the industry. So, you know, Joanna mentioned that there's a, a much greater abundance of sort of NA beverage options for people than there used to be. And I remember, uh, you know, a few years ago now, I think I interviewed uh, Bill Schufeld, who was the one of the founders of Athletic Brewing. And he talked about how uh, January was like a huge month for Athletic, right? You know, mm-hmm. even though they had, at, even at that time, you know, relatively strong sales throughout the year, they noticed, obviously, that there were a lot of people who either only were going to purchase Athletic during January, because it was the month out of the year that they didn't drink, or were first kind of looking for alternatives in January because they wanted to have something that was non-alcoholic that still kind of met some of their needs. And I was wondering if we're in this weird place where if at the same time, you know, individual consumers are perhaps less interested in dry January than ever before. And yet, I mean, we all, I think, have experienced the sheer deluge of PR pitches and things like that from new and old non-alc brands trying to get in dry January coverage. And I'm wondering if it's like this weird thing where like, Consumers are saying, hey, we don't necessarily want to do dry January, but we do want to incorporate these drinks into our life more often, maybe two or three days out of the week that we don't have alcohol or just sporadically here and there or, you know, as a pacer beer when we're drinking beer or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yet it doesn't like dry January still has tremendous value if you're a marketing uh, agency, say, because it's a handy pitch for your non-out yes. clients. Like, I- I'm wondering how we feel about this, like, weird dichotomy because again like i said every january i get more and more of these emails and i'm sure the same is true for you and you know how do we reconcile these two kind of contradictory facts i think (laughs) i'm trying to remember what the question was um (laughs) why is why is marketing of dry january only getting more and more extensive even if consumer interest is lessening yeah i think that's part of it i think it's because the trend has passed at this point. And I think, I think for, because your conversation with Bill was like a few years ago at this point now. And they, yeah. Yeah. And they see, so, I mean, athletic sells well all year round now. Um, But I do think that 
I think this happens with marketing and with PR sometimes. It's like it's hard to it takes a while to catch up. It's yeah, it mm-hmm. takes a while to catch up and we're kind of we've moved beyond it, I think, um, in a lot of cases. Yeah. I, I think that like the the idea that like it takes marketing a while to catch up is very true. Like you Often you plan off of the last year and like if we were to dig more into the data, it would show that like – so basically dry January was down in 2021, uh, but then it rebounded in 2022. So I think people just assumed it would rebound. I think the reason it rebounded in 2022 was it was the coming off of COVID. Sure. People being like, shit, we drank straight through COVID and like maybe this is the good reset. Mm -hmm. And now people are kind of like they've recalibrated. We've fully come out of COVID and it's down even further than it was in 2020. And so I think this is why a lot of people are starting to be are starting to say, huh, maybe this is over as a monthly as a as a happening. Mm -hmm. Because, again, no one's saying that that no and low is over. What we're saying is like this one specific moment in time That's is over. That's a really good point, yeah. And again, because I th- for all the reasons we've discussed, right, people are over the challenge. They're kind of like over doing this for a full month when a lot of other shit's going on in their lives. Like I just for all those reasons and because there is uh, a lot of no and low alk options out there. But I do want to bring up one thing about no and low alk. Sure. Which really pisses me off. <laughs> Especially, especially with unburden, no unburden yourself, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> so, as you mentioned at the top, uh, after a very so, first of all, I want to like as of after a very long time trying to have a family, we're able to have one. Um, thank yes. you. But uh, I will say that as you know, maybe it's because of what we went through and how long it's taken, et cetera. We're like very conscious of everything that Naomi puts in her body. Sure. And she's fully abstaining because of that, right? Uh-huh. Like, and non-alcoholic drinks do not tell you half the time what's in them. And if they do, they are the weirdest ingredients that like, as a, as someone who literally is choosing not to abstain, does not feel comfortable drinking. Yeah. There's all these crazy like adaptogens and roots and things like that, that actually like almost feel like they could be worse for you once we do research on them than just actually having alcohol. And I, I kind of want to stop. Like, can we stop that trend too? Like we don't like, let's just make something delicious and not put all this weird shit in it. Or if we put weird shit in it, let's not be these, these brands like some that pitch us when I ask what's in it, who say, sorry, that's a proprietary recipe. Yeah. Like if you're not going to tell me the herbs and spices, you've used to make this thing taste like an Amaro. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to drink that as non-alcohol because if you're going non-alcohol, you're also probably trying to be healthier and being healthier means like, I'd like to know how much sugar's in this. I'd like to know like what else has gone into these things. And actually I think sugar, they have to tell you because it's now it's a, a true, it's, it's a non-alcohol beverage. It's like a juice. They have to tell you, but mm-hmm. it would just be like nice to know a lot of these things. And I feel like no one shares that. And I feel like it's a huge missed opportunity, especially when like one of your audiences every single year is going to be people who are yep. expecting yep. and like fix that, please. Well, I also think that this is a, a bigger or part of a bigger problem in some ways with this space, which is it is an area of very low consumer information and therefore an area where a lot of bullshit is allowed to fester and spread. And you see this with some of the like kind of ridiculous claims that are being made. And to be fair, this happens in alcohol too. We've all seen an annoyingly high number of claims of good for you wine and stuff like that. But also, you know, it's where you see the kind of weird celebrity one-off endorsement brands or like collab brands and stuff like that. It's because it's such a relatively new space, especially here and a growing space. And in in sort of a, a space that's rife for 
you know, whether it's well-intentioned bullshit or let's say ill-intentioned bullshit, it's all bullshit nonetheless. And because there isn't a lot of, you know, because in a way there isn't a lot of understanding about, yeah, how you make a product that is meant to sort of give you the impression of drinking beer, wine, spirits, whatever, but is made from different pro- different ingredients and differently, you know, no, or very few people are going to have a, a healthy working knowledge of, of the processes that go into that. Mm-hmm. And as you said, Adam, if these brands are not divulging that information and or being intentionally cryptic about it, it just makes it all the harder for even people like us, professional journalists, to uncover that information and perhaps relay it to our audience who might not want to have to, you know, invest the time and money or time and energy, I should say, you know, searching the internet for what these various ingredients might be. It, yeah, it, it is an unfortunate feature of a sort of boom market that you get a lot of bad or at least negligent actors. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So anyways, that was my, that was, uh, you know, <laughs> my beef, uh, beefing with Adam today. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd love to hear if, if you are planning to do dry January this year, or if you've noticed people in your social circles who are not doing it, who've done it in the past, shoot us an email at podcast at vinepair.com. Uh, it'll be our like unofficial official study. You know, on top of the research <laughs> we love we just those quoted. types of yeah, studies. We love those. Uh, but it'd be really, it'd, I'd be really curious. And if you're someone, yeah, and if you're someone that owns a you know wine shop, restaurant, uh, spirit store, are you seeing more people coming in and buying no and low this month than last month? Are you seeing just? I mean, I think we see a lower drop in traffic in general because people have gone out so much la- over the past few months. They kind of like. They also rein back their budgets in January. Sure. Um, but I, I'm curious, like, if you are seeing your customers in the restaurants, are they drinking or are they choosing to not? Uh, all that is always super cool and interesting to hear. So shoot us that uh, that email, podcast.com, and we'll chat with you guys again on Friday. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.